0: Storytime in America and I'm your host Erica Nicole. Yay! I want to welcome you to our very first episode. Yay! I know it's all very exciting but let's save some enthusiasm for our stories okay? That's better. I have two stories for you today. And as always, I'm writing and collecting more stories for future episodes. If you have a story to tell, or a voice to tell one with, or an artistic contribution to make, send an email to American Storytime Podcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our Facebook page at Storytime in AM E R I C A. Storytime in America is now available on seven platforms, including Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. You can see the full list on the Facebook page. Make sure to subscribe and please leave a review. It helps other people find our stories. Speaking of stories, let's get right to our first one. Is there anything more American than the open road? How about overindulgence and eccentricity? Well, our first story has all of that and more. And it reminds us to be careful what we ask for because having your wishes come true is always complicated. Here is Butterland, written and read. By Erica Nicole. I got something to say that y'all ain't never gonna believe. But I swear on the grave of my sainted mother that it is a 100% true and factual account events that transpired inside of a restaurant in a little seaside town, whose name I cannot remember to save my life, in the state of Rhode Island. And before I can tell you that story, I had better tell you how I got to be in Rhode Island to begin with. The year was 19 so-and-so, and I was at what they referred to at the time as a secretarial school. Now, it was not one of them back alley secretarial schools like most of the girls went to. No, it was respectable. I was in my second year when the school decided they was going to do something called an international exchange. So that's where some of our girls would go off to a secretarial school in some other country and see how things was done different and some of their girls would come to our school and do the same thing well I'll be if I didn't get picked to be an ambassador now due to budgeting restrictions we was limited to the continent of North America and we had to figure out our own way of getting there that's how it ended up driving to Windsor Ontario Canada the two other girls riding along because they got picked to be ambassadors too. Well, we went to that other school and we done our duty. And let me tell you right now, there ain't a single thing that they do up in Canada that we don't do in Kennesaw, Georgia. But that ain't the point of my story. So we was coming back and crossing the Ambassador Bridge from Windsor, Ontario, Canada, back to Detroit, Michigan, USA we got to laughing because we was three ambassadors crossing the ambassador bridge all that laughing is what made me run the front end of my car right smack into the back end of the one in front of me we was all dumbfounded we sat there real quiet and we watched this fella get out of his car and walk around to the back to survey the damage well he looked at the back of his car and the front end of mine and then he looked right at me I was just waiting for him to start ranting some nonsense about women drivers and commenced to tear my head off but that ain't what he done. He just shook his head and laughed and walked right up to my window. And we was wary. And so I only cracked the window down a little bit. I could see that this fellow was older than I was not more than maybe a decade or so. And he was handsome. Not especially so, but handsome in the way that any smartly-dressed clean shaven gentleman is handsome. He spoke real soft, so as not to upset us any more than we already was. And he suggested that I should give him my information so we could work something out. Well, I wrote down my address and my name and that of my insurance company. I gave it to him. And me and my fellow ambassadors drove on back to Kennesaw, Georgia and didn't even think another thing about it. Now, generally speaking, I recommend that if you intend to run the front end of your car into the back end of another one, you ought to do some checking first to make sure the fella in the other car ain't a lawyer. But in my case, it worked out all right. Cause two weeks later, I received a letter from Mr. Albert Quentin Picklesheimer II, Esquire of Detroit, Michigan. And I wrote him one back. And so commenced a six month storm of letters flying back and forth between Kennesaw, Georgia, and Detroit. It wasn't long after that that a plane landed at the airport in Macon and outstepped Mr. Albert Q. Summer himself. That happened several more times over the course of that year. And he decided that he liked Kennesaw, Georgia just fine. He took state bar exams so that he could practice law and things happened faster from then on. Albert hook up with the law firm Nash & Bryant and that very next June I became Mrs. Albert Q. Picklesheimer 10 years further on and Albert got offered a partnership that's when Nash & Bryant became Nash Bryant and Picklesheimer now here we are 34 years later It was a happy life, mostly. We had our ups and downs, as all husbands and wives do, I guess, especially that time that Albert took up with that loose woman, Dorita Brown, whom he took to calling his traveling secretary. Looking back, I should have known something wasn't right. What use did Albert have for Dorita Brown? when he was married to a graduate of the finest secretarial school in Kennesaw, Georgia. But never mind. That was a long time ago. Me and Albert managed to do what so many others could not. We got past it. Now when Albert retired, we sold a house and bought us one of them RVs and took to roaming around this big old country, going where Whim and Fancy took us. his travels by drinking a different kind of beer every place we went and then writing them down in a journal so as they sounded kind of poetic at least to him. Let's see. There was the Corona of California the Amstel of Arizona the Michelob of Minnesota and the Blue Moon of Kentucky. Now myself ain't never been one for drinking. For me, it was the exotic foods. I ate rattlesnake and buffalo out in Oklahoma. I ate crawfish, alligator in Louisiana. When I was down by Miami, I ate something called grilled hutia Pootia is a kind of animal that in English they call a banana rat, only it ain't a rat. It's more like a rabbit, but it looks like a little old groundhog with a big old squirrel's head on it. I know it don't sound very appetizing, but I tell you, it sure does taste good with barbecue sauce. We just live in Virginia and we was on our way to see Niagara Falls for the fifth time, and it was getting close on dinner time, and that's how I came to be in Rhode Island. Like I told you, we was in this little seaside town whose name I just cannot seem to recall, but I do remember the name of the restaurant where we stopped for dinner. It was called Butterland. The way the letters all ran together on that neon sign I didn't know for sure if it was meant to be pronounced like Butterland or more like Butterland like the way we call England England and we don't call it England but I guess it don't matter. As you might expect the specialty at Butterland was something they called artisanal butter Now, as far as I could tell, it was just plain old butter with different combinations of herbs and spices in it. You could get butter with cinnamon, sage, parsley, honey, nuts, lavender, rose hips, just about any kind of fancy butter you could imagine. And the idea was that you pick your food off the menu, and then you decide what kind of fancy butter you want to go with it. That's what me and Albert were doing. Now... Sometimes restaurants like to hide the more exotic fare on the menu because they're often the most time-consuming to prepare or require the more expensive ingredients. So I was looking in every nook and cranny to see if I could find something more remarkable than just potatoes and fancy butter. Well, I wasn't seeing nothing until I looked at the third page for the third time in small prints way down at the bottom there was something interesting I read the description and it didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary fresh caught filet lemongrass, currants, better spring greens I started to wonder why in the world they wanted to hide it then I saw the price and I understood why $95 a plate. I knew at that price it had to be something special. Albert started protesting about spending so much, but I had an ace up my sleeve when he got all fussy about things. I looked right in his eyes and I said, I bet Dorita Brown didn't have to pay for herself. Albert relented. A waiter came over, and he asked for our order. Albert ordered a rolling rock and a side salad. He took out his journal, and he wrote down the rolling rock of Rhode Island. It was actually kind of impressive. And the waiter turned to me, and I said, One mermaid special, please. But as soon as I said it, everything got real quiet in butterland. And I smiled, because I knew I had made the right choice. Finally, the waiter acknowledged my order and said that his manager would be right with us. Well, that there just took the rag right off the bush. It had to be something extra special if upper management was involved. When the manager arrived, he was all smiles and charm, just like Albert was all those years ago when he walked up to my window on the Ambassador Bridge. The manager invited us to follow him so I could choose my entree. Well, this really was getting fancy. As I stood up, I looked at the manager's name tag and found that he was called Bob. With all the fanciness going on, I thought he might have done us the courtesy of being a Nigel or a Basil or something a whole lot fancier than just Bob. But c'est la vie, I guess. Bob took us into a back room where there was a big old aquarium tank and I could see from a distance an occasional flash of scales. Now, I knew why I was there, but the reality of it did not sink into my head until that moment. That reality was that my dinner was at that moment alive and kicking and just as happy as a fish in a tank at the back of a restaurant can be and that I was about to make a decision that would alter the course of that critter's life for all eternity. That's when the guilt first set in, I guess. I could feel it gnaw at my insides a little. In all my life, my consolation at dinner time was the fact that when I bit into my crispy fried chicken, I had not had to pronounce condemnation upon it before it got all crispy and fried. But this was about the experience that was the whole reason that me and albert took to traveling in the first place for the experience so i settled down some and i walked on up to the tank but what i saw in that tank was not fish well they was and then again they wasn't it seems that when the good folks at butterland say mermaid special they mean it <laughs> belief but I ain't one for lying about things as everybody knows and I'm telling you that their taint up in Rhode Island is full of living breathing honest-to-goodness mermaids they look just like what you was told they look like in the fairy tales they was beautiful to behold and there wasn't all mermaids neither some of them was mermen and they were just as pretty as the girls. And my dinner was swimming around in that tank like so much tuna with a human face on it. Bob smiled at me and he gestured to the tank, but I was too flabbergasted to do anything but stand there. I turned to Albert for help, but Albert was not paying attention because one of them mermaids had swum right up and pressed herself against the glass and was singing, serenading my Albert with her siren song. Albert, for his part, was mesmerized. must have been used to that sort of thing, because Bob gave a little wave of his hand, and someone up above that tank stuck a cattle prod down in that water and sapped her good. Well, she quit singing, and she pulled back from the glass. Now, I ain't proud of what I did next, but there ain't no sense in lying about it. When I looked on the face of that aquatic Jezebel, trying to seduce my Albert. Feelings rose up in me, the likes of which I ain't felt for decades. And the only face that my jealous eyes could see was the face of Dolryta Brown. Now before I could change my mind, I pointed right at her and I turned to Bob and I said, I'll have that one. I regretted it almost as soon as I said it, but it was too late because some people up at the top of the tank dropped a net down. They was already hauling her up out of the water. Well, I stood there feeling guilty of sin because as soon as she was out of that water, she commenced to screaming and squealing like something you ain't never heard. they carried her off someplace and there was a sound like a dull wet thud and the rest as they say was silence and that silence lasted a real long time And that he should be real quiet and give us time to process. Bob didn't say a word. And when that silence got so heavy that I couldn't stand it no more, I turned my face toward the wall and I stared straight ahead. And I said, Bob, I got questions. to have known that that would be the case and he just nodded inviting me to go on and ask Bob, I said Bob, these here well, they are part fish and part something else now, I can understand what y'all might do with the parts that is fish but y'all do with the parts that ain't? Bob told us that every single one of them mermaids was organ donors. Now that did not do much in the way of assuaging my guilt, but I will confess it was kind of soothing to know that they wasn't being wasteful. Bob handed me a little laminated card with all the names of the artisanal butters printed on it. And he recommended that since the dish itself was so unique, I should choose something simple. Well, my mind was whirling with thoughts, and I only had the vaguest idea of what Bob was wanting from me. I just looked down at the card and then back at the wall, and I said, garlic and rosemary, as I handed the card back to Bob. Albert had mostly recovered by that time but he'd been too far gone before that to really know what was going on. Well we was escorted back to our table and I could feel the eyes of every other person in that dining room pointed right at me. I avoided their gazes. by just staring down right at the tabletop. They brought Albert's beer and his salad. And he occupied himself with that instead of trying to make conversation. I was grateful. I don't know how much time went by before they brought my plate. But they brought it. thank the waiter just to be polite but I ain't very sure that I meant it. I sat and I stared down at my plate for a long time. Everybody was still watching me to see what I would do. Albert got impatient and started grumbling about paying a fortune for a dinner that wasn't being eaten. Oh. Yes. I suppose was all I could manage to say to that. I picked up my fork and I stared down at the fresh caught filet on its bed of spring greens. And since there was little else that I could do, I slathered it with artisanal butter and I stabbed my fork in, lifting one tiny, tender, you bite to my lips. As for the rest, all I can tell you is that by the time Albert and I left Butterland, there was not one morsel left on that plate. If y'all ever find yourselves in the state of Rhode Island, in a seaside town whose name you will not remember, you go to Butterland, and you order yourself a mermaid special, because the sea gods of Butterland are benevolent carnivores, and this is their gift to the world. Bon petite, you y'all. story recalls a time when America was wild and natural and its people lived a very different kind of life and yet the spirit was much the same. It was a place where there was value placed upon life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was a place where there was a hunger for freedom. Now we were not there. So we can't know for sure what it was like. All we can do is imagine. And this is one of those imaginings. Here is Peace in the Trees, written by Erica Nicole and read by Molly Kay.
1: peace in the trees. You can hear it, even from the ground, if you listen. When the trunk bends and the branches sway, it sounds like the laughter of children. You can see it when the leaves roll onto their backs in anticipation of rain. You can even feel it through an open palm on the rough bark of an aging trunk. But you cannot touch it, not from down below. You have to go up and meet it where it lives. I have touched the peace in the trees, but most never will. It isn't because I'm the only one who goes up, many do, but when they go up, they carry their wars with them and the peace will never allow itself to be touched by those who carry war in their hearts. None of that matters now. I am here, one leg on each side of a thick brown limb that is worn smooth from my frequent and lengthy visits to this place. I came today because tomorrow I cannot come, nor for a long time after. Tomorrow, while my people watch, I will dance. I will dance along with the other girls until my body aches and my lungs burn. And when exhaustion overtakes me, I will fall and be still. Soon as I am able, I will rise, bruised and tired from the ground. I will go to my father and my mother, and I will say goodbye. I will be taken to a place, not far, that was set aside only for me. There will be no bed where I can sleep until I make one for myself. I will not eat unless I cook the food. There will be no soft mat for my feet unless I weave one, no fire to warm me unless I build it. There will be no cool water to cleanse and soothe my bruised skin until I go and fetch it. I will become as the bird, who takes what she is given and builds her nest. And in my nest I will stay, until one or two of the men, impressed by my dancing, come and choose me above all the others. Then my nest will be their nest. I will make their beds, I will make their food and their fires, and I will make their children. I will make diligent daughters who will find peace in the trees until it is time to dance and nest and be chosen. I will make brave boys who will grow to men, hunt and fight and choose, but who will never touch the peace because of the wars they will have to carry in their hearts. This, we are told, is the way. The way of those who came before us and the way of those after. We are told to be chosen is a glory. I see no glory in it. What glory is in slavery? To touch the peace in the trees, this is my glory.
0: Well, that was fun. We should do it again soon. I don't want to keep you. I know that you're anxious to get to Rhode Island and that you need time to pack. Oh, and travel tip. After dinner, if you need some peace and quiet, maybe find a nice tree to climb. But if you do, make sure to leave your baggage at the hotel. We can plan something when you get back. Until then, safe travels. Thank you for listening, and I will see you again. At story time.